Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So this is our first Sunday of Lent together. Some of you may be incredibly familiar with the church calendar and especially with Lent. Maybe you grew up giving up chocolate or eating fish whenever you could. Or maybe you have no idea what this season really is about. Maybe the church calendar kind of means nothing to you. And I just want to say that I love being in a church with many different backgrounds, upbringings, and traditions. That's part of what makes Gather who we are. So for those who don't know what Lent is, it's 40 days leading up to the day of Easter, and it's known for giving up something in your life to bring you closer to God. And for those who know what Lent is and maybe even have some significant bad feelings attached to it, I hope that this will be a gentler, kinder version of Lent for you over the next few weeks. Our theme this year is Practices Worth Keeping. And this is a part of this year-long journey we're going to, as we're going to find a faith worth keeping together. We wanted to jump right in this week with the practice of fasting as we begin Lent together. So it's worth noting that the earliest documentation of the church observing this 40-day Lent for a 40-day fast, like the one we know today, was in 325 CE or AD. And it's believed that the church observed it long before that as a way of mirroring the suffering of Jesus and deeply honoring and spiritually preparing for Easter. So their fasting usually looked like only having one meal a day after 3 p.m. that didn't include meat or dairy. So for many today, however, like I said, this means giving up chocolate. This means fasting from sweets. This means maybe spending less money or maybe posting on social media that you're giving up social media. It's giving up something superfluous to somehow be closer to God in the suffering of it. So when you think about how much you want chocolate, instead you replace that thought with prayer and attention toward God. So, with all of this background in mind, but with the hope of a much gentler word to come, let's read our passage today from Matthew 6. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I personally didn't really know much about Lent growing up. Um, I was staunchly Texas Baptist, was kind of the flavor that I grew up in all my life. Um, but I had, so I really didn't know about it until like high school-ish. Um, I have Catholic relatives, but just didn't really hear much about their Lenten practices growing up. In high school, though, I was finally aware of it, and oh, did I then care about it. Because this was indeed 
the peak of when I was absolutely somehow both convinced that I could never measure up to God, what God wanted of me, but oh, how I would try. I would keep trying and trying and trying, and I would somehow be the one that worked my way toward perfection. But I have found over time that everything is much more nuanced than that, and I have learned to hold it all much more loosely, especially Lent and fasting. I've come to see that it is so much more about simplicity, about gentleness, about simply being present to the moment. But when we approach fasting, it really feels basically impossible to separate from all we're told about our bodies every day, from inside the church and outside the church. In the church, we have had thousands of years of ideas telling us our bodies are bad and just that we are separate from them. Western philosophy and this historic Gnostic religious thought influenced this popular line of thinking that goes something like this. The soul and the mind are distinct from the body. Plato really popularized this. Even in the Christian Reformation, there was a strong emphasis on the mind's ability to grasp the who and what of God. But feminist theologians and liberation theologians would say that all of that simply put the body in a straitjacket. And then... Outside the church, there is a multi-billion dollar beauty industry and destructive diet culture telling us something new needs to change about us every single day. I don't know if this is your experience on social media, but when I scroll, I have to actively notice that every other ad has something to do with what is wrong with me and how I need to change it. There is always an inner critic and an outer critic for me. Even if through the motivation of capitalism that is telling me to do something, to be better. But Richard Rohr says, we do not think ourselves into new ways of living. We live ourselves into new ways of thinking. And so is the same with our relationship to our bodies. When we have heard that our flesh is bad in our church spaces and outside our church spaces, and that every part of our bodies needs fixing in some way in every other space of our lives, it is no wonder that we find it hard to love ourselves and to approach everything with gentleness and with kindness. So what does it look like to live ourselves into a new way of thinking? I think for starters, it means coming to really be at home in your body. It means connecting all the parts of yourself back together instead of believing that your spirit and your body must be separated. And especially in Lent, rather than it being about criticizing ourselves endlessly, maybe Lent can be about slowing down and listening to God and to our own bodies. 
So instead of focusing on restriction and deprivation, might I suggest that you add something as your practice instead? So even if you add, decide to add reading for five minutes before bed, or meditating for 15 minutes a day, or simply going on walks every day, even if that's what you decide to, your practice to be, I don't want you to feel shame and pressure if you don't do that practice every day. Jesus came to give us life abundant. And I do believe that that means that it is good to add and not just take away. And even in this adding, like reading and meditating and walking, I think that we are taking away things that actually harm us. That we are taking away comparison and overstimulation and endless consumption. And all of that is not to be said in shame, but simply to bring a new awareness, to wake up to the cycle of voices that are screaming at us every day. Buy this. Do you care about this? Surely you have a hot take to post about this event, right? If you've grown up like me, everything is about striving, perfecting, trying harder. But what does it actually mean to try softer instead? Author and therapist Andy Kobler has a book titled this, Try Softer. And she says, Imagine actually experiencing tenderness toward who you are. Not just tolerating or enduring your life, your family, your relationships, your body, and your career, but truly finding ways to love and honor them. We have a member here at Gather who has gone on her own journey of trying softer in a really beautiful way, as well as doing the work of creating lives alongside her clients as a dietitian in which they can also try softer and love themselves. If you would welcome Hannah Stefan up. She is going to share a little bit of her own experience with learning to love herself and helping others do the same. Thank you so much, Brianna. Um, I just want to start by saying how grateful I am to be a part of a church community that approaches conversations about practices like fasting with such thoughtfulness and intentionality. While I wish the 12, 15, 18, 21-year-old versions of myself could have received this type of message, I feel so lucky to be a part of this conversation now. I also just want to give um, a brief trigger warning that I will be sharing about both my experience with an eating disorder and also in the work that I do as a dietitian supporting others that are struggling. And so if you do need to step out, while I, I won't be sharing any specific details, if you need to step out, please feel free to do so. So Brianna and I had met for lunch a few weeks ago, and I must admit that, although I didn't tell her this at the time, um, when she initially brought up that she would be giving a sermon, a sermon on fasting, my guards automatically went up. Not that I don't trust that Brianna would handle this topic with care, but in my personal experience, fasting had only been used as a weapon against my body, both within the context of Lent and in my eating disorder. 
to give some background, I was raised in the Catholic Church. I grew up going to a Catholic elementary school, participated in youth groups, church camps, was an altar server through this my senior year of high school, which I'm very proud of, and mostly did just to prove just to prove that it wasn't just for the boys. Um, so you you get the picture. I I wasn't formally diagnosed with an eating disorder until I got to college and eventually received treatment. But my struggles with food and my body started when I was a sophomore in high school. On the outside, I was someone who was outgoing, had lots of friends, was the top of my class academically, was involved in, in all the extracurriculars. But on the inside, I felt empty. I knew that what I was doing to myself was hurting myself, but I also didn't know how to help myself. So I did what I knew best, try harder. So. I prayed and prayed and prayed for God to take my pain away. I confessed my sins, my sins that I was not taking adequate care of God's temple that was my body, that I didn't love this vessel that I lived in, and that I didn't have self-control over my unruly flesh. When Lent would roll around, I would give up or fast the bad foods that I had mentally put off limits, which in reality was just my eating disorder acting in full swing under the guise of being a good Catholic. At the time, I found so much of my self-worth and value in who people told me I was and strived for the approval from others to determine my goodness. And it worked. I was told that I was good when I checked all of these boxes. But truthfully, I was only becoming more and more disconnected from my faith and the true purpose of Lent. Along with my pursuit to make my body smaller, my faith also continued to get smaller and smaller to the point that it was no longer existent. The truth I wish I would have known the whole time was that I was inherently good. My temple was never meant to be worshipped. I was allowed to appreciate my vessel without always liking it. And my flesh wasn't some unruly being that needed to be controlled. Now, I think it's important that I state that I do not believe that my being raised Catholic or participating in Lent directly caused my eating disorder by any means. But all good things can be misused and while not intentional, can be a cause of harm and suffering. In alignment with Brianna's message of trying softer, I have found it helpful for both myself and for my clients to approach the journey towards self-love by starting with the question, how can I care for myself well? And while a simple concept, it is not always so simple to implement. So, in true gather spirit, I'd like to leave you with a few questions to consider as you decide how or if fasting may be a practice worth keeping for you during this Lent season. So what is your intention? What are you hoping the outcome will be at the end of those 40 days? What are you hoping your body will look like at the end of those 40 days? Is it safe? Is it in alignment with caring for yourself well? mentally, physically, emotionally? Who are you doing it for? Will it create space in your life for you to draw closer to and lean on your relationship with God? Or is it more noise that distracts you from the true purpose of Lent? Could it actually be the desire to change your body that needs letting go of? I can tell you it is really difficult to find peace when you are at war with your body or yourself.
Thank you, Hannah. If you need to hear it today, if this is your first time hearing it, as you sit with all that Hannah just shared, I want you to hear that your body is good. I'll say it again. Your body is good. I think we all need to hear that pretty frequently to quiet the noise that's telling us everything but that. As we begin to close, I want to share some, some words from Hilary McBride, who is a brilliant therapist and expert on embodiment. She writes beautifully of her own journey with embodiment as she has survived eating disorder and two near-death car accidents that made trauma live in her body. And in her book, The Wisdom of Your Body, she writes, I could see all of it, all of the world, as the mark of a love so wild and good that it is even now still moving itself through us all. Why could I see and believe that about everything else, but not about myself? My fingernails, my stretched and dimpled thighs, my eyelashes. Why did creation get to be good? profoundly telling of love itself, except when creation was my body. When God and bodies seem antithetical, I must ask, what am I missing about God? What am I missing about love, about life, and the messy, gritty, unpredictable, unfolding process of faith? Father, I'm grateful that we are on this journey of a messy, gritty, unpredictable, unfolding process of faith together. And this is my prayer for us today. That we would see the goodness all around us and that we would not give in to the pool of restriction and shame and self-hatred but rather we would instead learn the daily spiritual practice of loving ourselves as we are. That when we see the goodness all around us, that we would believe that every part of us, especially our bodies, have been called good too. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.